Today we are continuing uh, in our series, Sex and Sexuality. It's a conclusion of our series today. And, and we've been journeying through the series, reflecting on words that first kind of are brought to our attention in the book of Genesis. If you recall in Genesis chapter one, th these profound words that are expressed in verse 26, and, and friends, this is the word of God. And we read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And as we've looked previously, the wonder of this is that in, in the wonder with which God brought creation into being, part of his providential plan was that we would be expressed in gender, with sexuality. And, and so this gift God gives us of sex and sexuality, and in this series, trying to look at and discern, how, how does God guide us in using that gift in life? How are we reflected in it? And even as we looked at last week and in previous weeks, the wonder with which God says to us, I, I've given you this gift of sex and the sexual relationship to be expressed uniquely in a committed marriage relationship between a man and a woman. So we've been looking in previous weeks on how that then is expressed in, in our lives. Those are challenging words for our day, aren't they? Countercultural words. So, so we've really, week by week, been building and reflecting on this together. If you weren't here in previous weeks, I encourage you to listen online at our website to, or, or watch the previous teachings that would help this make sense. And even today particularly, this is part two of a question we began reflecting on last weekend when we asked them the question, well, what about homosexuality? And looked at what scripture taught about that. This is really a continuation of, of that teaching last weekend. So I hope you can take time to listen to that if you weren't here. But today we wanna continue on in this in, in recognizing, for one, this reality. Okay, even as we come to this topic, this is the overarching principle of this series. We each come to this series broken. And every one of us. There isn't one or two groups particularly that need to hear God's guidance on this. Every single one of us comes broken, having fallen, messed up, kind of skewed, off kilter in our understanding of our own sexuality and, and the sexual relationship. So we want to be guided by God in this. And again today, specifically asking that, well, if, if that's God's guidance from Scripture, how then does a follower of Jesus who, who walks with same-sex attraction, how do they live this out in their life? So I'm very thankful today. Uh, Mark Elvin is with us. Uh, Mark uh, works and has a ministry with Journey Canada. And, and Mark has come very graciously to share his story with us as we're just gonna talk together about this and reflect on it together, how does this live out for a follower of Jesus? So we welcome Mark as he comes to join us. Morning. Morning. It is great to have you with us, Mark. It's good to be here. And, and, and why don't Morning. you, just as an introduction, so they get to know you, share about what does life look like for you right now? What does life look like for Family right and everything. Now? Well, um, my wife and I, we live in Stony Plain, which is just west of Edmonton, on the way to Jasper. 
Um, we, uh, we've lived there for about 30 years. We have five grandchildren that take up a lot of our spare time and our energy, and that's a wonderful thing. I work full-time in ministry for two ministries, one with Journey Canada, the other with Urban Sanctuary, which is a spiritual formation center. Um, I am also uh, an ordained Anglican priest. Um, I go to an Alliance church, and I was raised Roman Catholic, so I guess you could wow. say I'm, I'm ecumenical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I have friends in all the other good Christian denominations, so uh, uh, I feel like I'm some part living the unity of Christ uh, in that reality. Um, yeah, so... And, and you of... mentioned, and I mentioned too, about Journey Canada. Can mm -hmm. you share a bit what Journey sure. Canada is about? Journey Canada um, is, a, is a discipleship-based um, program, um, and Journey Canada dispenses that program itself. It's an experiential discipleship program. Um, and it is for men and women within the Christian faith who are struggling with persistent um, relational and sexual issues that interfere with their relationship with God and their ability to grow in their faith. Um, and so this program exists um, for them to be able to come and learn about God in the midst of their struggles, um, their confusions, their, their um, realities, or their issues that they would identify with. Typically, the issues that um, are present in people who are common are people dealing with pornographic addiction, um, emotional dependency, codependency issues, um, adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, um, uh, same-sex attraction, um, even a, a sense of rejection or confusion about a person's gender identity. And, and Mark, would you, let's walk into your story. Sure. Uh, could you just share about your own journey? Sure. Um, lately, I've been, I've been seeing my story um, as, a, as a journey of fear and love. Um, and I, and I want to start um, by saying that almost all of my life, um, I have been uh, struggled with a, a sense of not knowing what it was to be a man, what it was to be male. Uh, clearly, I am male. Um, and, but having that innate, innate sense of knowing what it was to be male, to be masculine. And that was something that was seemed foreign to me. But I grew up with a life of, of wanting to discover what that meant. And I had learned at an early age how to, how to pretend um, to be male. I would watch very carefully um, how others did it. I would listen carefully to what I thought was expected of me, and I would perform as best as I could, still feeling that sense of disconnection between what I was doing and who I felt that I was. And out of that, um, going into adolescence, grew a sense of, or a discovery of same-sex attraction. And, and, and that was very fearful. Already feeling this disconnect from my own gender, um, but also having these feelings. And I didn't want anybody um, to ever find out about that. I certainly didn't want to admit that myself. I wanted these feelings like I wanted another hole in my head. I, I didn't choose them. I didn't wake up one morning and thought, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to be attracted to guys instead of girls. That, that didn't happen. They were just there. They developed, you know. Um, yeah. And, and one of the phrases you used, even as we talked before, was that fear ruled your life. Yeah. Can, can you talk about what that meant? Well, the fear that ruled my life was the fear of being discovered. 
I, I was afraid that somebody would find out about um, my same-sex attraction. I was already in doubt and fear of what it was to be male. Um, so, you know, the, the, the fear of being discovered, the fear of that um, being found out. And I grew up in rural Alberta um, in the 70s. I went to school um, in the 70s, junior high and high school. Um, we lived in a different culture then than we live in now. And there was a, a different attitude towards same-sex attraction. Um, and and it, there was just that sense that if anybody ever found out about this, this would be like a death sentence. That's how fearful it was for me. Um, I was getting, I was, you know, I was the kid that was picked on all the time, and I was already called gay, and I was already called a faggot, but I never affirmed those things, right? I had girlfriends in school trying to, you know, prove that that wasn't true. Uh, I didn't want it to be true. But, but that was part of the fear that um, pervaded my life. And it didn't stop in high school. I mean, it carried on into married life. It carried on when I became a Christian. Um, I, you know, I was, I was afraid of the real me ever being discovered. And I put a lot of energy in trying to protect that um, at all costs. Keeping it hidden. Yeah, and that, just even as you're describing it, that the power of hiddenness, of, mm. of secrets. Uh, can you just share about some of the costs of hiddenness uh, mm -hmm. in, in your life? The cost of hiddenness means that you have to um, always keep it hidden. That might sound redundant, but, but, it's, but it's true. You've you got to keep it away from everybody at all times. And you got to keep it from your conscious self. So you you got to you got to convince yourself that you're not that. You don't have those feelings. Um, that those fears don't exist. You try to perform as best you can. And whenever they they would seem to come close to the surface, you just got to put more energy in trying to keep it down. So the real cost of hiddenness is that you're never really known. I was never known by anybody. Nobody knew what my fears were. I didn't want to know what my fears were. I couldn't share them with anybody. But, no, but I also couldn't share my dreams. And if anybody got too close to me, then that was threatening. I could serve better than I could receive. So in my home, I could do all kinds of things for my wife, right? I could be very interested in what she was doing and what her life was about. But my life needed to remain a closed door. There were certain aspects of my life that could be known, uh, artistic. Uh, my wife and I started a catering business together. Um, you know, the, the, you know I, could, I worked well with children. I mean, there was all kinds of things where people thought they knew who I was, and I would invest in those things. But the parts of me that I, that I, that I thought were the real me, the disqualifying me, I needed to keep hidden, even on some level feeling like I needed to protect others um, from me, but really I was just trying to deny myself and ultimately that became aloneness You know God said uh, just preceding what um, was read today in Genesis is God said it is not good for man to be alone Actually, that's in Genesis 2 in, in the description of the creation and and so God is acknowledging that his presence with Adam or the Adama the humankind was not enough that, that, the, that humankind needed a counterpart, needed something, someone else like himself 
to ease his aloneness. So loneliness is not God's intention for us. To be in community and to be connection, have intimacy, belonging. And intimacy, the great video of, of, of the, those two couples. I love Henry Nouwen's quote. But intimacy at the core is to be known and to know. And, and hiddenness creates aloneness. And that's devastating, it's painful. So, so some of those were some of the costs of hiddenness. On, on the other dimension, what were some of the results or consequences hmm. of that hiddenness in your life? Well, in order to keep hiddenness, um, you still have all of the things in you that you're trying to hide and keep squelched. You know, God, give us, God has given us desires, deep desires. Um, they're powerful. Um, the need for intimacy and connection and belonging, um, the desire to not be alone, they're powerful desires that are intended to be expressed in their appropriate place. Um, so I had these desires, even though that they were skewed, even though they were uh, same-sex attraction desires um, and, and other desires to not be alone, um, you know, I needed to satisfy them somehow. So I developed a, a high level of, of addiction to pornography, masturbation. Um, it, it was awful. Uh, and the more that I participated in those, the more condemned I felt, the more disqualified I felt, the worse um, I believed that I was. Um, and, and that really just intensified that sense of aloneness and began to deposit the reality of hopelessness um, deep within my soul. You know, the, the result is, is the more that you invest in trying to cope with desires that you don't feel like you can manage, um, the worse it gets. The more you got to do your addiction to try to satisfy that, the more alone that you feel. I mean, it's just, it's a vicious cycle of being separate from God. One of the things that um, I needed to come to understand is that same-sex attraction is not a sin. Have the feelings is not a sin. To act upon them is. Right? Our, our desires, when we're, like we said at the beginning, you know, the, the basis for all of this is the reality that we all come broken. Yes. We have all been loved imperfectly. And we all love imperfectly. I, I raised four kids. I see my brokenness in them very clearly. Hmm. Even though I swore never to do the same mistakes my parents did. I discovered new ones. <laughs> and I repeated some of theirs. Right? I mean, that's just the reality of our life. Jesus has come to save us, and he's come to redeem us, and he's come to reclaim those imperfections. And that's an ongoing work. We are, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which means we are being transformed from something into something. Right? And this journey of ours is lifelong. Yeah. But when we keep ourselves separate from God and from God's people and trying to manage those things, um, it's devastating. It's, it's, it's that aloneness. It's that hiddenness. It's a secrecy builds upon secrecy. It doesn't matter how small it is, it grows. And the more I did it, the more I thought I could manage it. And the more I tried to manage it, the harder it got. The more I tried to ignore the feelings that I had, to deny them, to pretend that they weren't there, to perform otherwise, uh, was to make it worse. And, and so here, you're walking with same-sex attraction uh, and in hiddenness. You're married to Cheryl. Mm -hmm. 
How did that unfold? <laughs> well, part of my good masks um, and trying to deny the reality of what was going on, um, I, I met this woman, a lovely woman, artistic woman. Um, she she um, appreciated my artistic um, abilities um, as well, and we, so we found common ground. Somebody that I liked, um, and, and somebody that, to the best of my ability, I loved. Um, so we got married. Um, I was hoping that marriage was going to solve my problems. Anybody ever here <laughs> thought that too? <laughs> Getting married was going to solve all your sexual brokenness <laughs> and all your sexual problems. <laughs> marriage didn't cause the brokenness. Marriage is not going to fix it. Yeah. Um, God, God is our redeemer in that. Um, but I was hoping, I was hoping this was going to, you know, going to alleviate the issue. She was a good woman. She is a good woman. I'm still married to her. Um, she's a lovely lady. Um, but I thought that that was going to be something that was going to cure my problem. And it, and it didn't. It actually made him worse. Because she is my counterpart. She is, she is my other. And I wasn't at peace with myself. So I couldn't engage the other fully. I couldn't engage her in freedom and, and, and appreciate the compliment that God intended between a man and a woman because I lived in fear and judgment of myself. And, and so that we couldn't live in that freedom. Um, a year after we were married, um, I, uh, I invited the local pastor to come to our, our home because my wife was going to a woman's Bible study and she was hearing about this this, you know, this friendly guy named Jesus. I knew of Jesus. I was raised Roman Catholic. I knew he was God. He was way up there on the seventh le level of heaven or wherever that was. And he was somebody that you needed to attain to and be good for. But here she's talking about this guy named Jesus like he's a friend. And I, I, that was almost a little offended. So I wanted to hear from this pastor. And he came to our house and that evening... Um, he asked me if I wanted to know this Jesus that he was presenting to me. And I heard a voice said, yes, that happened to be me. Um, and I accepted Christ that night. And it was a significant experience. I, it was a very real experience. I knew that something had changed. But accepting Christ didn't remove all of my brokenness. All of my sins were forgiven up until that day. That's true. And becoming a new creature was made available to me. But all my patterns of thinking and my deep belief systems, they had not yet been given access to. And I wasn't even really conscious of them. But that was a very real experience with Jesus. I still had all of my struggles. So I thought, okay, now I'm a Christian differently than I was before. So now I'm going to perform even harder for this Jesus. The same month that I had accepted Christ, I had my first anonymous sexual encounter with another man. This is a year into marriage. I never wanted to be that guy that committed adultery. My wife had been married before, and there was a lot of sexual brokenness in that, and I, I didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want that to be part of our relationship, so I had to keep that hidden, had to keep that a secret as well. There was a lot of shame and guilt, but I, I was determined to try as hard as I could to fix this, make it right. Three years later, it happened again. More shame, more guilt, more disqualification. A um, deep sense of hopelessness began to be seated in me. 
Jesus had become very real, but I was trying to perform so hard for him, and this wasn't working. Three years later, I fell sexually with a friend. Now it was very hopeless. I felt that this is, nothing's going to change. All the work that I put in, maybe God can't fix this. Maybe I'm just too broken um, that, the, that, that this can't be fixed, that this, no change can happen. There is no freedom. I thought that the sermons I was hearing, they were good for other people, but not, but not for me. Um, so I get, got to a place where, yeah, it was, it was just very um, alone, you know, a little bit of suicidal thoughts, you know, pretty dark time um, my life. And what you're speaking of, that both the hiddenness and mm -hmm. the experience of brokenness, even after coming to faith in Christ, yeah. that is something we all experience, the brokenness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would imagine every one of us experiences hiddenness in, in one way or another, some dimension of our life. Mm -hmm. So how the question is, okay, as a follower of Christ, then how, how do you come to begin to overcome, right. to begin to find health? Well, I think that the first thing is acknowledgement. Um, I could barely acknowledge to myself that I had these issues. I just wanted them gone. I, I was hoping that confession and prayer um, would just eradicate the brokenness. Confession covers the sin, not the brokenness. Right? My weaknesses um, is, is things that are in me that are not strong enough. When Paul talks about boasting in his weaknesses, he's not talking about boasting in his sin. He's talking about boasting in the reality of the things that are not fully strong enough for him to be able to live that out as God would intend. Well, there was a lot of brokenness in me. There was a lot of weakness in me. My sin I could confess and be forgiven of, but my brokenness remained. God needed to be able to encounter that. So acknowledging my, my brokenness to God um, was, a very, was a major first step. But I, I want to talk about how I got to that place. Um, I was working for a local restaurant. My wife and I had started the catering business. I was working for a local restaurant to help supplement the income. And uh, I was in my office uh, this one night feeling this hopelessness. And I turned off the light and, and feeling very desperate. Um, I prayed a, what I consider a dangerous prayer. I was feeling that nothing in my life was real. And so I prayed to this Jesus that I'd been following for, for eight years. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, I want to be real in my life. So, what, so from this day forward, whatever it takes, I want to be real. So if you're real, show me that. And I put my head down on the desk. Remember, it's dark in there. And it's like this vision opened up before me. And uh, in this vision, you know, I'm, I'm in a boat. The boat's on the water. It's shallow water, but it's moving. And there's a rocky shore. But everything is gray. The sky is gray. The water is gray. The shore is gray. I'm gray. The boat is gray. There are no oars in the boat. It's aimless. There's no empowerment there. And, and I, I remember deeply feeling this is, a, this is an accurate reflection of how I feel inside. Dead. Lifeless. I'm alive, but not alive. And the boat bumps up on shore. And sitting on a rock on shore is what I believe to be Jesus. Now, he's gray too. He entered, he entered my brokenness. 
He's being present to me, but he's sitting on this rock. And he motions for me to come over. So I get out of the boat. You know, I'm not all excited to see him. I'm just kind of sauntering over with my hands in my pockets, my head bowed, feeling the shame and the disappointment, feeling the, the reality of, of all of this. I'm expecting Jesus to pull out the litany of all of my sins and accuse me accurately. I mean, you know, I'm, I feel like a, a sheep being led to the slaughter, right? Um, well, I'm, sheep probably don't know they're going to the slaughter, but a, a dead man walking. I'm going to my execution. I'm believing that I, I deserve this. I'm expecting this, right? And I'm, I'm waiting just to receive my just um, punishment. And he grabs me and pulls me into his lap. He just says, Mark, I love you. He knows my name. He calls me by name. And he just says, I love you. Now, I know that he knows everything about my life. He knows about the affair. He knows about the sexual addiction. He knows about my self-hatred. He knows all the mistakes I ever made, all the sins, all the broken promises, the vows that I broke in marriage. And he says, I love you. That became a, a fundamental shift in my being. It didn't cure my problems. It didn't make everything go away, but it changed how I began to face them. Out of that, I was empowered to confess to my pastor. I knew I needed to tell somebody. I experienced this very real experience of Jesus' love and acceptance, but I knew that that wasn't enough. It needed to go beyond that. And so I, I called my pastor, and um, I called him, and he said, yeah, Mark, we can get together, you know, telling him that there's something really important I need to tell him. So we set a date. It was 10 days later. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know when you got to talk to somebody and you feel the energy of that and you're prepared to just share everything about it that you need to, and then it's the time is delayed and it was appropriate that it was, and you begin to rationalize and you begin to minimize what it is that you're going to say. You know, I was going to tell them everything about everything that I had done. I just felt that that was right. By the 10th day, I kind of whittled it down to something that was reflective of maybe something I might say to him that he might understand what's going on. Did that make sense to you? <laughs> I hope it didn't. <laughs> but it's just that, that rationalized, that fear of self-protecting. I got to keep his hidden. I began to think, he doesn't deserve to hear all of this. What is it going to matter anyways? I was beginning to believe those things. But earlier, I had prayed a dangerous prayer. Whatever it takes from this point forward, Jesus, I want to be real. And God in his grace helped me, held me to that. And when I met with my pastor, I expected to tell him this much, and I told him everything. I just opened up everything. I dumped all of my garbage before him. I knew Jesus knew already, didn't have to do it there. This guy didn't know. He needed to hear the words. I didn't want to say the words, but I ended up saying the words. I felt like I had just threw up every darkness and sin and everything wrong at his feet, this man that I thought was a godly man, still do. He says, Mark, thank you for telling me. Can I pray for you? I'm bewildered. He touched my knee. Why would he want to touch me? In that moment, he became Jesus with skin on. He, he, as C.S. Lewis would say, we are all little Christs to one another. He was my little Christ. 
He was a messenger of Jesus. He became the practical expression of the faithfulness, the acceptance, and the love of God. And he prayed for me. And that, you know, one of the fundamental things he said is, Mark, I don't know how to help you, but I promise that I'll walk with you and help you find the help that you need. You know, that, that was back in 1991. There was no Journey Canada at that point. He sent me to a Christian psychologist who also said, Mark, I can help you with this area of your life. I don't know how to help you with the same-sex attraction issues. I'm beginning to feel a little doubtful about the help these days <laughs> at this point. But he says, I've heard of this author that wrote this book. Why don't you go and buy, buy this book? So I went and bought um, what was uh, the original material of the Journey program. And for the first time in my life, I'm reading what an author has to say, and he's giving language to my struggle within. He's understanding my conflict and desire, my sense of rejection and fear, my need to hide. He, but more importantly, he began to present hope and truth and that Jesus was for me, not against me. Even in my sexual brokenness, that God wanted to redeem my life You just speak of it in that way, just something that we've talked about throughout the series is when we come to Christ, boy, we can pray for healing, for his transformation in our lives. Mm -hmm. Often he seems to lead us on a path that is a journey of healing, not a moment of healing. Absolutely. And, and in that, again, we spoke as well how the body of Christ often is the last place that feels safe to share brokenness, particularly sexual brokenness. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, just the call for us, regardless of what we're walking in, to, to be that loving, supportive place for mm -hmm. those walking in this way. Can you, can you just speak of mm -hmm. that the role of the body of Christ, the, a loving, supportive body in mm -hmm. finding healing sure. in brokenness? Um, first of all, the provision for healing is the body of Christ. Yeah. It is Jesus mediates his love, his healing, and his forgiveness through people. As broken as we are, as misguided as we are, as many times as we mess that up, we are the ones, we are the vessels of God's hands and his feet and his words. We touch, we do the best that we can, and we walk alongside. So the place where it often seems the most fearful ought to be the place that is most welcoming for our brokenness. So part of the reality of the body becoming a healing community is, is always remembering that it is not us or them when somebody has an issue. Our sins do not, are not graduated on a scale of importance or devastation. They will have different effects in our realities of our lives. There may be different consequences for the activity of our sin, the engagement of our sin, but all sin separates us from God. Yeah. No matter how little or how large, and God's intention is that we all know him and come to a place of redemption. And that he wants to transform all of our lives. His, his price of forgiveness for our sin was not just enough. It wasn't, you know, just not enough to satisfy, you know, the shareholders' requests. God, God's generosity for the payment of sin was enormous. It was more than enough. God put everything on the line, not just enough. The payment wasn't just 
enough. It was more than enough. And we need to remember that. We are all broken and we are all in need of having our ability to love being redeemed. There is nothing that we can manage within ourselves. God did not design our beings or souls to manage sin or brokenness. They're intended to be spoken out. Mm -hmm. They're intended to be brought into the light and including intended to be brought into the safety of community. So in order for us to be healing community means that we are part of all of broken humanity. The difference between us who follow Jesus and those who don't is we have hope. And our hope is Jesus Christ. Right? And so we can welcome anybody in. So providing listening, trying not to fix. My pastor did it right. He didn't offer pat answers. He didn't open up his Bible and read me condemning passages about homosexuality. I believed those already. I already felt condemned. You know, I thought that I was unworthy. What I didn't believe in was in the love and acceptance of God because love covers a multitude of sins, right? It is love that motivates us into truth, not fear, not condemnation. So being a healing community is about giving space and room for people, not jumping to quick solutions, but being relational, being patient, being listening, speaking truth when prompted to. Yeah. Um, something in our conversations even before this weekend, uh, the, how would you respond to those who would say, well, Mark, you just aren't being true to your identity. You're mm -hmm. hiding things, actually. You're trying to bury it. And I think it's related even that you don't refer to yourself as being homosexual or gay, but you speak of yourself as somebody that has same-sex attraction. Right. Why that terminology, and, and what about identity? Okay. Um, well, let me, let me start with um, who I am is a child of God. I am, I'm a man made in the image of God. God calls me to live that out and to uh, embrace that. So my desires do not identify who I am. God asks us to submit all of our desires onto him. And that as we walk in obedience with him, he will grant us the desires of our heart. He will, uh, he will enable us to, to be able to live rightly um, and, and to be able to embrace confession and repentance. But, but the identity of who I am is not because of the desires that I feel. That's just something that I experience. And so I say same-sex attraction because that's just something that is part of my life. I, I also don't identify myself as a liar, yet I have trouble telling the truth at times. You know, I, you know, I don't identify myself as a murderer, yet I have allowed hate to reside in my heart. I heard one guy speak one time, he says, I'm a non-practicing murderer and adulterer and liar, <laughs> to the best of my ability. But, but that's, you know, so, so my desires and the movements of my heart don't identify who, who I am. But there is, this, there is this reality that within our culture, that what you desire is who you are. Um, Mark Yarhouse wrote a book called... Um, uh, homosexuality and the Christian. And in chapter two of this book on sexual identity, he talks about a three-tier identity 
um, and, and the labels that are used in those identities. And he talks about layer one being, or tier one being, um, same-sex attraction. And, and that expression um, says that the individuals experience same, some same-sex attraction, but it doesn't say anything about identity or activity to that person. The second tier of, of identity would be one that would say homosexual orientation. And that is where a person is experiencing persistent and consistent feelings of same-sex attraction, where they're beginning to explore what that might mean. The third tier of identity is a gay identity. And this is the most prescriptive. This is where the person has fully embraced that what they feel has become who they are. And, and uh, even to the point of it is imperative for them to act out on these feelings in order to live rightly as a human being. And, and that's some of what our culture tells us, is that if we deny a person to live out their desires, then we are denying them the good of their humanity. And if we really think that, it doesn't make sense. And it's contrary to God's word. God wants us to be followers of him and to be led by his desire and his intention. And he wants us to submit our desires onto him so that they can come in line with him. So I say that I'm same-sex attracted because it's an acknowledgement of something that I face within me. But it's not who I am. Now that said, if somebody that you know says, you know, I'm, I'm gay, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have embraced a gay identity. Because our culture today has embraced that if you have those feelings, then you are gay. So, so the younger and younger generation is just associating the two as one thing. But the person may be saying, I'm experiencing same-sex attraction. So it's important for us that we're engaging with people not, can conclude, not to conclude that they fully embraced a gay identity. But they may be saying, something else. So being relational, being um, asking questions as much as they would allow you to do that um, is important to understand really where it is that they're coming from. Um, homosexuality in the Christian is an excellent resource. Um, it's very, um, the, the man is brilliant that wrote it, um, and, uh, and it and it's very clear on how it can be a help and a resource. So for those perhaps are buyer of our body, brothers and sisters who have, have same-sex attraction, any, mm -hmm. any words of counsel, encouragement, mm -hmm. guidance to them? If there's anyone here experiencing that, um, first of all, know without a doubt that God loves you. And God doesn't look down on you because you have those feelings. Um, but I encourage you to find a, a safe place to talk to one person. If this is something that um, is unwanted in you um, and you want to know more about how to address um, that in your life, um, you know, you talk to Pastor Clyde here, the other pastoral staff. Um, you can connect to Journey Canada, uh, find a resource there um, to help you uh, begin the discussion of those things. If you're ambivalent as to whether or not um, that this is unwanted for you, and, and that's reality with people that come to our communities of faith, then pursue Jesus. Uh, that's overarching. Fall in love, fall, fall more in love with Him. 
Uh, trust me, for anybody here, regardless of what it is that you face in your life, if, if you are more intentional about following after Jesus, Jesus will expose the areas in your life that interfere with relationship with him. His love does that. Yeah. He will allow that to come to the surface and trip you up. He, he will make your life miserable through love. Uh, he, he, will, he will create inconveniences. He will bring it to your attention because it is robbing you of freedom in life. And so follow after Jesus. Pursue him. Um, and know who he is and his heartbeat for you. Right on. Boy, I would just, I'll just affirm what Mark just said. Both for us as a church body, we, we want to walk with you. Uh, I do, our pastoral staff, our, our leadership, uh, however we can support you in this mm. journey. But just what Mark said is so right on. Mm. In the confusion or whatever, boy, above all, pursue Christ. Uh, and, and just to point your attention to a couple of resources. One, Mark's referred to Journey Canada. Uh, their website is journeycanada.org. Uh, they can be a great resource for anyone who's just looking to wanting to understand more uh, about these questions. I encourage you to go there. And Daniel Kamori, who is the director of Journey in Calgary. Uh, Daniel said, boy, Clyde, tell anyone that would like to talk with me, email me at calgary at journeycanada.org. That's Daniel. I Daniel, are you here in this gathering? I think he's coming to 11. I think he is. Uh, but you can email Daniel. Daniel would be a great resource and help for you as well in this. Uh, and anything we can provide for you. Additionally, we have resources on our website. Uh, you can go there to find additional teachings and understanding to even more fully understand this. Uh, but I ask you another question. Uh, sure. For many, if m not most of us, uh, we are walking with friends or family members uh, that walk with same-sex attraction. How would you counsel us to reflect Christ in walking with them? How would you guide us? This is uh, deeply personal. Not that I haven't been, but um, um, walking with somebody who, who has same-sex attraction or who identifies themselves with gay, um, we, we need to um, embrace the reality of our responses and our reactions. Be true to ourselves and bring that before God. And we need to leave our hearts and our doors open as much as we can to be in relationship with those people. And to be honest with them where you're at with it. Brother, thank you hmm. for your transparency, modeling, honesty, and health for all of us in seeking health in our own brokenness. Mm. Uh, friends, would you join me in thanking Mark? Yeah. Uh, and in this, we're on a continual journey of mm. discovery of, of learning together as a community of faith. And uh, perhaps as we conclude this time, uh, would you pray for us, sure. Mark? I uh, and. As we as a community of faith, can we just open our hands, reflect physically reflecting, Father, we want to receive for you truth, guidance, wisdom in this journey. Can we do that as Mark prays for us? Thank you. Father God, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, not just because this place is a special place, but because you promised to be with us. Yes. And when two or more are gathered, somehow in the mystery of that God, you increase in the reality of your presence. So, Holy, Holy Father, bless your people here. 
May the words that they have heard today, God, penetrate deep into the heart and knowing and understanding that you are a God of hope and transformation. And that regardless of what we face in our life, regardless of what we carry deep within our souls, God, you love us and you will meet us there if we are willing. So God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here that if anyone here carries any level of hiddenness or secret, God, as something that they feel that they need to manage on their own apart from you, Jesus, I pray through your grace and your mercy that you would reveal that to them and reveal your presence to each and every one of them. God, I pray that you would increase in each brother and sister here, God, a level of compassion and boldness and clarity. Mm. And God, a deep desire and hunger for you. That above all, God, that they would want you. Yes. And want you deeply and profoundly. Mm. So bless each and every one that is here, God. May you fill them with your grace, your peace, and your hope. I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.